tuning into lipstick and tea we are your hosts faith and brianna and tonight we have my favorite lady joining us my mom marie youngblood who is the author of her book through the fire global ministry here talking to us about sexual assault in the healing process coping with it and dealing with it every two minutes an american is sexually assaulted and every eight minutes the victim is a child a baby, you guys. So, but sexual abusers are not typically apprehended because the victims are usually scared or ashamed to come forward. Only six out of every thousand perpetrators actually end up in prison for their crime. These stats are seriously, seriously alarming, you guys. So, Bree and Mom, how do you feel about these stats and what are your experiences? Well, um, the stats are very alarming. They really are. And when I started through the fire global ministry, affectionately called through the fire, I looked up those stats and I was very alarmed. And in one sense, I didn't feel so alone anymore when I realized how many other young girls and women are affected at the same time. But that means we have a lot of work to do, um, a lot of healing to do, because when you are abused, um, at any phase of your life, as a child, as a young adult, older adult, is very devastating. Um, my question for you, Miss Marie, because um, you said affectionately called through the fire. What caused well, you to come up with that name? Like, what? Where did the name through the fire global ministries come from? Well, through the fire um, came out of the um, the three Hebrew boys that were thrown in the fire. I mm -hmm. um, you know you all know the story in the Bible. Yes. And they, they trusted God. They trusted God that even though I'm, I'm in here, I know that my God, if he doesn't heal, if he doesn't bring me out of here, he's going to be, he's still God. Right. And um, that's why I through the fire because uh, in the process of healing, um, that's when I discovered through the fire or that's when I decided to um, start through the fire. I knew that process process of being almost consumed with fire just just feel like that you can't get out of it mm -hmm. so that's why I ended through the fire and also in the bible and Isaiah we said that even though you go through the fire you will not be burned mm -hmm. you go through the water you will not drown because women who have been abused they it's, it's tormentuous they go through fire and that's why I knew that and global ministry because my dream is for through the fire to touch many lives many women lives whether they are in the United States, in little, you know, Houston, Texas, somewhere where we live, or actually the whole world. So that's why it's added on global ministry. All right. That's awesome. What made you start Through the Fire, Mom? And, and is it just to reach out to women or children as well? Because I know that you go to prison mm -hmm. um, to talk to those type of women. But what made you overall start it? Uh, overall started through the fire after I healed, um, after going to a Christian counselor uh, who told me uh, when I first uh, I went to him for um, losing your dad, my husband, um, he sent something that was more than just becoming a widow. He knew that there was something more. And um, I told him what happened to me. He said, I'm going to heal the little girl inside. You're going to have to heal the little girl's side along with healing of losing your husband. So um, that process uh, of healing, 
I wanted to give back. And the Lord, I felt the Lord was telling me to, that this is my purpose. Because they do say that your greatest pain is your ministry. I felt God, and, and that was my greatest pain along losing your dad, was the abuse. So after I healed, it's amazing how I was healing at the same time of losing your dad and uh, a, a thing that happened to me as a little girl that it came simultaneously. So after I healed, I, I was told, I believe God was telling me to start to the fire. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really awesome. Powerful. Um, so going uh, back to your question about hearing the stats, um, I feel that that's ridiculous, the number of rapes that occur and sexual assaults that occur to young women in this country. But also um, an article or something not too long ago was that at Brigham Young University, uh, girls were actually punished for reporting sexual assault on campus. Wow. There are multiple girls who um, report that they were disciplined by the college after making rape reports. And so um, when you hear, or as we'll go throughout telling you the statistics, it's already hard enough to get someone to come forward about being raped or sexually assaulted, but then to know that the university will punish you for reporting it who do you go to? That right. really clearly shows that there isn't really any support for people who are sexually assaulted if the victim's the one who ends up being reprimanded and shamed. For what they went through. And it's kind of like a taboo. Like, you, oh, don't talk about it. You know, oh, that didn't happen to you. Like, that's embarrassing. You know, it, it's and it's sad that people can't get their appropriate healing and go to uh, an official or go to a parent or go to whoever they feel the need to go to without them looking at you like, what did you do? You mm. had to have some type of part in it. Right. And right. in the article on CNN, it said that um, the university, Brigham Young University, um, which is run by the Mormon church, determined that one of the girls, her name was Brooke, had violated its honor code, which is a student code of conduct and moral compass that prohibits students from engaging in on and off campus activities such as drugs and alcohol use, premarital sex, and even going into the bedroom of someone of the opposite gender. Upon enrollment, students agree to live a chaste and virtuous life, demonstrating the values encompassed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason why the university says she was reprimanded by, by them was because Carrie Jenkins, the spokeswoman for the university, said that they defend the school's policies and treatment of the alleged victims. Um, a student would never, never, never have an honor code review for reporting sexual assaults for being a victim of sexual assault. While Jenkins wouldn't comment on any specific case, she said it would have been an egregious violation that would prompt an honor code investigation stemming from details revealed in a sexual violence report. Um, but this girl wasn't the only person who reported it. Maddie Barney said that she suffered repercussions after the, her police report ended up in BYU's hands. Um, and so it's just crazy that, you're, uh, well, a school has an honor code, and I get that it's supported by the Mormon church, but regardless if rape occurs it shouldn't say well we would love to support you but you kind of broke our honor code because rape can happen anywhere they could have got uh grabbed by the perpetrator walk into class mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it's just the act was done so where do we go from here 
not punishing the victim. These are victims. They're victims. And that's why uh, through the fire in, a, a, in our counseling or my counseling process as a Christian counselor is to make, is to allow the young ladies who are encounter um, to, um, to accept truth. And truth is admitting, understanding that it happened. A lot of times women go in denial because they get so many different people or institutions who reject them or try to find fault in what they did that caused them to be raped or have a sexual experience. And maybe not call it rape, but saying, no, it was a sexual experience that you wanted. So part of through the fire counseling, the first part is to admit truth. And truth is it occurred and that you were innocent. It occurred and you were you were a victim. For them to understand that because a lot of women believe or they think some kind of way was their fault. And it's never your fault. The minute you said no, the minute you felt that you didn't like it and you maybe too scared to say no. Uh, even if you in even if your body said uh, that the pleasure that it was pleasurable, but you know you don't want to do it. It's still rape. It's still abuse. It's called sexual abuse. And sexual abuse is any touching, penetration. Um, in the case of young children, also um, allowing or uh, telling children to commit to, to participate in sexual acts and adults are like overseeing it mm. um that's also abuse even allowing the children to watch pornography all that's considered sexual abuse wow yeah uh, hey mom uh when you i know that you go to prison now pretty regularly but when did you start going to prisons and homeless shelters to counsel these women and what's the process like well, um, in the process of doing my research after I healed, of course, um, um, and I really praise God for that. I know it's totally God. I want to admit that, that um, I believe as a Christian counselor, that's why I'm a Christian counselor, not a counselor any other type. So I know the secular counseling and things like that. I believe that only God can heal, um, especially in sexual abuse, because he makes our bodies. He's the only one that can um, do the repair. Um, but so I go to prisons and I've gone to shelters before too. And the reason for that is um, because statistics say most women who've been abused uh, end up um, with either teenage pregnancies by multiple men, um, high school dropouts, um, going to prison for whatever reason, end up homeless because they can't take care of themselves. That's because basically it was their mind's fragile. And most of the women I, 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 I come across have fragile, very fragile minds and souls. So what we try to do is we try to let them really let God enter their heart, Jesus Christ enter their soul. And that's why on my curriculum I have three parts that um, anchor your your humanness, which is made up of your mind, body, and soul. And when you ask God to enter your soul, that's when the healing process starts. So when I encounter these women, I try to let them, I ask them about Christ. I tell them that he's the only one that can heal. I let them know that he's not like a human being and not like a man who can lie to you and turn their back on you or hurt you. So once I start that, I actually have seen women's um, healing process occur. And me personally, I always was in the church. My husband, your dad, was a minister. Um, but when you hurt like that kind of a wound, it's hard to um, to really trust even God. And I let them know that. I tell them my experience that I, it was hard for me to trust God. And I would sit up in the church every Sunday. But I was like, but why did you allow that to happen to me, Lord? 
even if you exist, why do you allow that to happen to me? So I had to um, start off with my experience so they can realize that uh, only God can help them. And once they truly accept God, he will start the healing process for them. So, and I, I'm sorry, and I go to uh, the prisons and shelters because statistics say that most women end up there. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of the unique, and that's another thing I'm blessed by God. I'm one of the unique women, and I, I know it's only God. I ended up, even though I had that experience of being abused, I ended up going to college, getting a degree, getting uh, multiple degrees, working as a uh, at a professional job for almost 30 years, uh, married to a man, three children, none, none of them out of wedlock, even though if women who have been out of wedlock, nothing's wrong with them, it's going on statistics. Um, so I know I was blessed. So I had to go back once I healed and thank my Lord. Were you ever, um, or at least in the beginning, scared to tell your story or what people would think or, you know, being so vulnerable and letting someone know this happened to you? Were you ever at any point scared to share? I, I've been always scared to tell my story. I've always been afraid to tell my story um, because, um, as you all hinted before, um, the victim is always seen as, as the one who may have initiated it some kind of way you caused it. So it's always scary to be that vulnerable and let people know. In fact, in the ministry to the fire, you know, I tell people, I had them sign something saying that they're not going to talk about what they heard other women say about their story outside of our room of gathering. I said, well, you can always tell my story because God's dealt with me. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to tell my story, it's okay, because any lie you put to it or attached to it, it's okay because God's going to protect me. But you have to learn that. Mm-hmm. And at first, I was afraid, yes, to tell my story for a long time. Well, how did you get the strength? Like, despite being scared, what caused you to say, you know what, I'm scared to tell my story. I don't know, you know, putting myself out there, but I'm still going to do this. What gave you that motivation to still tell, to do it afraid? I believe it was God. I do believe it was God who um, is motivating me to do this, you know, because he healed me. Um, and there are a few times um, I wanted to stop through the fire because it got too consuming, um, you know, other things I wanted to do. But I always felt motivated that, no, this is your ministry. This is your purpose. This is why I healed you. This is why I protected you like I protected you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's you can be a voice for other women. And you can be a voice for other women um, well, let me see if God did this for her. I know He can do it for um, for me, and that's why He gives testimonies for people can see God working in their lives. That He will He was there all the time, and I always give Him the credit for that. Um, so I'm not afraid because I know He's going to protect me. But it was a learning experience with Him that I shouldn't be afraid. Yeah. With with all the stats, you know, because especially with child abuse. It says one in five girls will actually be abused in their childhood, and one in 20 boys will be abused in their childhood. With those stats, like, how did you deal with being a mother of a daughter and two boys and now being a grandmother? So how do you deal with that and knowing the stats? Um, Yes, it's fearful. It is. I stay prayed up a lot. And I pray for you all the time and Michaela all the time. And and you've seen sometimes, sometimes even though I'm healed, residue effects come up where you've seen me become alarmed sometimes when I 
believe Michaela may be uh, going to be around a male, you see me react already. So, and that's residue. You know, even though I'm healed, um, there's still some things that you might see. Because you know true. what can occur. Right, and that's true of anyone that's been abused. You know, you, you still have some residue that before you hit you, you react, and you go, then that's, that's from my abuse state. But that's because I understand the stats. I know the stats. I know it's real. I know that all men out there don't do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so you've mentioned a few times that God healed you. How did you know you were healed? Like, what was the moment for you where you realized I'm free from this? Um, touching story. Um, I knew that I was going to start the process of healing at one time when, um, after my husband passed away, my kids wanted to go back to school within a week or two and I wasn't ready to go back to work. Um, as a school teacher. So I dropped them off. I went back home and I stretched myself out in the living room floor. Um, and I, first of all, I did that, I took my clothes off except for my underwear, my underclothing. And I said, Lord, I won't be able to do this by myself. I said that if you are, you've allowed me to be in a state where I don't have a husband, I'm going to raise three children by myself. You're going to have to heal me. And at that time, I knew that I was too weak too fragile to do it by myself um, as an abused victim. So I had to deal with it then, and I felt his touch. I felt him. Um, I felt him, you know, said he's going to be there with me. So that's the beginning of the healing. And then when I realized I was finally healed was when I was actually able just to sit down in my lonesome by myself and just feel at peace, at peace, you know, at peace with everything. I knew I was healed. That took strength to reach out, I mm-hmm. think. I, a lot of people, especially abused victims, don't really, you know, find the need or feel like, you know what, I just need God to touch me and mm-hmm. feel and tell me, mm-hmm. hey, this wasn't my fault. How do I go from here? Mm-hmm. I can love again. I can trust mm-hmm. a man again. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, I think that um, it's a process. It really is. Uh, I believe now that... Um, that I'm totally healed. I, 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 I cherish all relationships, all relationships. And I always cherish relationships before. Um, but when you're healed, you don't always um, respond in a healthy way when someone mm-hmm. um, is loving you. And what I mean by that, you don't believe that they actually love you mm-hmm. because you think that, you know, you are worthless. Right. So right. you, um, so you, if you don't believe that they love you, that's kind of draining on the other person. Right. You know, no matter how much they do. And now I don't do that. You know, I, I you know, I don't, I don't um, speculate. Someone cares about me or don't in a relationship. I'm not dating, but in, with just friendships, I just take it. You know, as that that they like me fine. If they don't and it's okay but I will have to say that I do have more protective mode of myself and that might be residue effect of the abuse I still feel very protective of me where I won't venture out too much and just seek out relationships but they come I'm always friendly I'm always kind but I'm still guarded and that may be something that I like to work on but healing means where you don't act emotionally anymore about what happened to you that's healing. You're at peace with it. You can um, talk over the events without falling apart. You can be at peace with what occurred and know what occurred wasn't your fault, and you can enjoy life. You don't let emotions bog you down. That's healing. What um, Bree asked me about before, that's healing. I don't have any of that. 
Right. And just so you all know that while she's not dating, she is single. So, Mr. Still Your Grandma, if you're <laughs> listening, we have a nice, young, sexy grandma right here for you. I yes, just want to put yes. that out there. My new step-saddy. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's it. Um, but so going back to statistics, um, as Faith said about the girls, but with women, one in five women and one in 71 men will be raped at some point in their lifetime. 46.4% lesbians, 74.9% bisexual women, and 43.3% heterosexual women reported sexual violence other than rape during their lifetimes, while 40.2% gay men, 47.4% bisexual men, and 20.8% heterosexual men reported sexual violence other than rape during their lifetimes. And these statistics come from the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, by the way. Um, so as you were talking, you said that you were blessed that you weren't one of the ones to go down that path. Um, we also see another statistic here. Nearly one in 10 women has been raped by an in intimate partner in her lifetime, mm -hmm. including completed forced penetration, attempted forced penetration or alcohol, drug facilitated completed penetration. Approximately one in 45 men has been made to penetrate an intimate partner during his lifetime. Um, there's lots of statistics out there, um, and these are unfortunate events, but uh, what caused you to say, I'm not going to go down this dark path? Uh, with so many victims you hear, as you said, they think it was their fault, or they're worthless, or they're not worthy. A lot of people think there's no reason for them to live. What made you say, you know, I'm not going to give up on life. I'm not going to heal myself or numb myself with drugs. I'm not going to end up in prison i'm not gonna end up on the streets what motivated you in spite of what you faced to press on and to thrive in life i think what helped me a lot was um as a little girl i focused on education um and uh, i had some wonderful teachers who always gave me lots of attention um, I don't know um, what they sense, but they gave me lots of attention and care. And so education was my way out. Learning was my escape. Um, when I sat and read a book, I didn't think about what I was going through. Um, so I enjoy learning, and I wanted to always prove myself to be a good person. And that, to me, was getting a good education and proving that despite, despite what happened to me or what's going on in my life, I'm a good person. I'm okay. And where it came from, only thing I can say is the Lord. Uh, and that education, that striving to get it and to prove that I am somebody, mm -hmm. in spite of what I actually felt inside, mm -hmm. was my ticket out, was my ticket to success. Wow. Because many people focus on, like, drugs or sex rather than education. So it's definitely, I feel like it's definitely God that, he it was God. steered your mm -hmm. attention at education rather mm -hmm. than, you know what, I'm just going to, you know, be out here with the guys anyway since, you know, this guy's, you mm -hmm. know, touching all on me. This other guy can too, mm -hmm. you know. Yes. I did lose God. And, you know, people say that God talks to you in a small voice. I hope you all think I'm crazy. But I felt, I felt when I was a little girl that God was talking to me. And this is, you know, your way to success, education. So. I do believe God speaks to you. Right. And I, I love the fact that you're saying that no one else or nothing else but God was the one that made you whole. Because a lot of victims do seek other things. They think, 
oh, I'll sleep with someone else so that the person who uh, who abused me or raped me wasn't my last partner or mm-hmm. I'm going to use drugs to, you know, make me forget. But in the end, you'll sober up and you'll need more drugs or you've slept with someone else, but it won't erase what happened. So I really do love the fact that you're promoting and giving God the glory and letting women know that he's the key to it. If you want to be healed and be made whole and to love again and live again and thrive again it's through god and god alone that you can find that restoration and redemption yeah yes and i did try a secular counselor at first Mm -hmm. and he didn't help and when i sought out a christian counselor and he sensed i guess how i was talking he knew there was something more than me coming there for my husband um and healing from that and he, and, he, and he asked, and I told him, and, and he said he was going to heal a little girl. He worked on it. So it was with me, with the both grieving process. So that's why I give that a credit, because a secular counselor wasn't able to help me. Mm-hmm. It was a Christian counselor, and God, me getting the word myself. So um, at what age or ages, because you have three children, did you tell them your story, and how did you uh, let them know? Um... I think that they knew sometimes uh, because, you know, I was very emotional. You know, I cried a lot. Um, and I started giving them hints about it at when it became teenagers that what had, had occurred to me um, and why I was so protective of them. Mm-hmm. So I was about teenage years. Teenage years. Mm-hmm. And Faith, how did it make you feel to find out, like, when your mom finally told you her story, how did you feel? How did y'all bond over that, or what was the conversation like? I think it bonded us because me dealing with a past event, when she told me, it just made me sympathize with what she went through. It made me realize, hey, so many people go through what they go through, Mm -hmm. and it just made me... Uh, appreciate her more to be able to take care of three kids with dealing with that because that's mentally draining you know and I realized that even as as a teenager when she first told me about it did you when you talked to your daughter versus your son was there any feel a different feeling like I don't know maybe more concerned because you're a woman and she's a woman and women are seen as more dainty and fragile versus your sons was there more fear for faith as opposed to your sons or did you handle the conversations any differently i don't think i handled the conversations differently between um faith and her brothers uh because i do know statistics show that boys are also victims as well mm-hmm. so uh, no i didn't i was just as fearful for them as i was for faith um even though i i do know that uh I believe for for what I gather is more is higher for girls than for boys, but the chances are still there. So I was, I've been I was been fearful for my boys too. How did you raise them to not be fearful? You know, when you think about what you've gone through, it would have been very easy, and I think no one would have blamed you or judged you if you had kind of kept them in a bubble and said, you know, don't talk to any men, don't talk, you know, don't talk to anybody you don't know. Like, how did you raise? Because knowing your children, they're all independent. I mean, your youngest son will walk to the store by himself. Like, they're independent people. They're still intelligent and very aware of their surroundings, but how did you raise them to not be fearful when you had every reason to hover? Well, I believe I was very protective, but I was 
I was wisely protect, wisely protective, if it's such a term, which means I was very protective, but I also was aware that they had to be around other people. They had to get to know other people. They had to become themselves. And it wasn't right for me um, as a protector to protect, protect them so much that sheltered them where they couldn't get to know the world. Mm -hmm. That wasn't be fair to them because I knew that I didn't know when God was going to bring me home. And I wanted them to be prepared as much as possible. So I thought as a wise protector, like I said, again, for such a term, I protected them wisely by screening, if you can say, the people that came into their lives. Mm -hmm. If my discernment said that they were okay and I watched them for a while, I'll let them go around them. And then when they come back home, I'll ask how to go and talk to them. And my conversation with my children were always open. Mm -hmm. They always felt that they can talk to me, and I, and I thank God for that. Um, even maybe my sons now, they will... You know, get a little squeamish, you know, I talk to them, you know, about their, if they're dating and stuff like that. But for the most part, they were, they're open to me, you know. I have a very open relationship with my daughter. Uh, and I think that helped me to be uh, wise with watching who they can come around and let them know if I was concerned about it. Um, and how, especially since um, your full healing took place after the death of your husband, how were you able to trust a man enough to marry him? <laughs> yeah, um, that comes up sometimes in um, the ministry, uh, and a lot of women have that problem with men trusting men mm -hmm. uh, for that. Wow. Um, well, my, I, I think what helped was because my husband was very uh, patient with me, uh, and I think that helped a lot. He was very patient. Um, he knew that I was guarded to mm -hmm. some degree, and mm -hmm. he understood that, and um, he was one of the first adults um, the first people here because my best friend, uh, she didn't know until years later, um, but she always said that she knew something was off, you know, mm -hmm. something was different emotionally with me. Um, but I, I trust him, my husband, and I told him, I said, if I'm, after I got to know him and like him, I knew that I'm guarded, we're not going to be um, being intimate, I need to tell him why. Mm -hmm. But I do like him enough, I don't want him to go away. Right. So I, he was the first person I told. So that's and when I saw his response to me, mm -hmm. um, that he was caring and, and and protective of that, and loving of that, and scare him, and shock him, and make him run away. Right. So that that built the trust. Awesome. Wow. That's great. <laughs> great I man. Think, I I know. I think every woman wants a husband and man like that. <laughs> yeah. Talking about your dad. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I that's think I married him. Yeah. That's kind of like my dad. Yes, you did. Yes. <laughs> well, the question I want to ask, going back to the healing process, how mentally draining? Because I know it definitely can be a, a very hard process. Mm -hmm. So, like, how mentally draining is it to seek out that healing and know that you have to seek out help? It is emotionally draining. I think when you really get tired, that's when you're going to seek it out. And and the first part of uh, healing is to admit truth, like I said before. And the truth is to say this happened. I, I'm not going to deny it anymore. Because some women also become those statistics because they deny it mentally, but in their heart and soul is still there. Mm -hmm. And that's why they act it out. So you have to admit that it occurred, but that you were the victim. Right. And then, But the process is very draining. That's why you need uh, a loving person there that you can trust to talk it out. Because part of healing is just talking it out, saying this happened to me, and be okay with that, and let God enter in your soul so he can heal you like he's always willing to do.
So for many of our listeners out there who may be wondering, um, as you said, you got you go to to prisons and mm-hmm. to the homeless shelters. But what if there's a woman who she may not be in a prison or a homeless shelter? Do you counsel women? Privately, if a woman said, hey, you know, I'm dealing with this, I can relate to this, I want someone to talk to, do you counsel women outside of those arenas as well? Yes, I, I do. Um, if the woman will approach me, I, I will counsel one-on-one as well. Like I said, I chose the prison shelters because that's the bulk of the women population in prisons and uh, shelters have been abused. Mm-hmm. And the statistics are not off because every time I go... Um, it's a quite a few of them. In fact, even the ones who sign up, there are far more that didn't sign up, and they'll see me in the hallway going out, leaving out. And so, oh my God, you know, I should sign for your class because this happened to me, and that happened to me. So the statistics are not off. They're true. That most of the women who are in prisons or shelters, they have been abused. And that's why I choose it. But I also let women know, that's why I wrote the book, To the Fire Global Ministry. Um, that's, and you know, I have my business card so that they are aware that, you know, they are, can be assessed, that I can be assessed to any, in any environment, in their home, mm-hmm. um, and I can counsel one-on-one as well. Awesome. Um, and so what do you think for those are, and this question's for all of us, when you hear the, the cases of when people are already afraid to tell what happened and then they go to someone to confide in them and it's, that didn't happen to you, what are your thoughts on that, um, or why is why do you think people choose to believe what you're saying isn't true? I think, like I said earlier, taboo. Like it's just like oh sh- that didn't happen to you. Or a lot of people don't understand, especially people that didn't go through it. Mm-hmm. You know, there are even though it's a big number of women and men who have been sexually assaulted, mm-hmm. there are still people who never had that happen to them. Mm-hmm. So when you're going to someone who you know, it didn't happen to them. Or sometimes it's hard to go to a teacher or a parent and say, another teacher assaulted me. These people know that other individual. Oh, they possibly couldn't do that to you. Mm -hmm. What did you do to provoke it? Or, oh, be quiet. We're not going to say anything because this is my husband you're Mm -hmm. talking about. You're telling me about my husband. That's not true. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. so I definitely think it's hard for people to uh, differentiate the fact that you're a victim And their own, in a sense, selfishness Mm -hmm. of the other individual who created or who who did that act. Right. I I do believe that's true. Uh, I I think, first of all, for some reason, our society considers it's a taboo Mm -hmm. um, to discuss it uh, for whatever reason. uh, Especially in my day, I'm 50-some years old. It's just not something to discuss. And I think for some reason, they want to blame the victim. Okay, when I made my outcry, I was told not to say anything. Mm-hmm. And as a little girl, I didn't say anything for years, but I internalized it. And it was a very hurtful process to try to heal. So I do believe that um, it's just such a taboo that people want to keep up their demeanors. Mm-hmm. They want to keep up their facade. And that want to believe that someone actually did this to someone else. Well, as a qualified um, counselor, someone who has been through it and also is qualified to counsel and mentor people through it, what would you recommend? um, How should someone handle it or what would be the proper way to handle if someone should come to you, whether it be family or friend, they come to you and uh, confide in you about this? What would be the proper way? Because I think also part of it is 
yes, it's taboo and people want to live in denial, but some people truthfully don't know how to handle this information. Mm -hmm. So what would you recommend would be a proper way to handle someone telling you this information? Yeah, Proper way of handling when someone, if someone comes to, to tell you what occurred to them, don't tell them it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. if, if you don't believe it, or if you're skeptical or you're squirmish about it, at least hear them out. Mm -hmm. Let them at least tell you what they feel, what they see. And then if you can't do anything about it because you don't believe it or because you have strong beliefs about it, mm -hmm. uh, find someone that can help them for that person. Guide them to the person that can help them because that person does need help. They trusted you enough for their outcry, but if they were wrong, mm -hmm. if, if at the end of the end of the day you really can't do it, be kind enough, be Christian enough, be ethical enough to find someone else who can. Right. Mm -hmm. Going back to your book, Mom, like how do you think the curriculum that you created and put in your book helps with people's healing process from being sexually abused or just abused in general? Well, it works because every time I teach it, women you know, come out crying and uh, they tell me this has helped them. They say that they've healed because of the curriculum. And I know God's in there in the midst of that classroom too. But the book helps, uh, the curriculum helps because it's uh, dealing with the essence of a human being. Mm -hmm. And the essence of a human being, we're made up of three parts. We're mm -hmm. made of our mind, that guides our thinking process, our body that directs us, directs us in relationships and allows us to move around an earthly matter and not float around. Right. Mm -hmm. And our soul inside that allows God to come in to help guide us in that process. So the book um, has those three entities of human being, and then the entity of Jesus Christ is a three-part being too. Right. And it's just ingenious how he created us, how he, how he said he designed himself to be God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And God guides the mind. That's why, you know, he, in all the verses, he tells you who God is. The Father, his Son, you know, came to earth in order to show us how to live in our body state. Mm -hmm. And then when he died, Jesus Christ, you know, the Holy Spirit comes into our body and guides us too, and shows and guides us in discernment. So that curriculum is very powerful for Christians, and that's why it's so helpful um, and healing if you really use it that way. Well, your book, Through the Fire, Global Ministry, seems like it's helped a lot of women and also helped to heal a lot of women. It's a very effective book and resource tool for women seeking healing from sexual abuse and sexual assault. Where can women buy your book? They can go on the website. Um, uh, the website, just look up Through the Fire, Global Ministry, and they'll see it, and they'll see the publisher uh, where they can go and uh, call and get the book that way. Um, in the process of seeking another publisher too, mm -hmm. so it will be. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be retouching the book, a second edition. Mm -hmm. um, so, but in the meantime, they can get the book online. Okay. So, oh, and also Amazon. I got my book off of Amazon. At Amazon. Yes. Okay. So you can go on Amazon and search through the through the fire Global Ministries by Marie Youngblood if you're interested in getting your copy or of the book. iTunes iBook our iTunes iBook. And for any woman who is interested in seeking out counseling from you, where can you be reached? We know you have a Facebook page, so you can go on Facebook and search for Through the Fire. Yes, you can. Mm -hmm. um, so would that be the best way to reach you if anyone's seeking counseling? Yes, we're developing our website for um, Through the Fire, so the best way is through the Facebook page. Um, they can also write me at P.O. Box 310-627, Houston, Texas, 77701.
and that's through the fire global ministry but we're affectionately call ourselves through the fire and what would be if there was one thing what is the key takeaway that you want women to know key thing i want women to know is that that whatever happened to you whatever abuse that sexual abuse occurred it's not the end of your life it's not the end um but to seek the the, the counseling that you need so that you can build from the experience and let God use you to greater. That's wonderful. Wow. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, that concludes our episode for tonight. We are so yeah. glad that you all tuned in. Thank you, Ms. Marie. Thank you, Mommy. Thank you. For Thank coming you. and sharing your story with us. Um, be sure to tune in Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.